0: Welcome back to Crown Beha podcast on this April 20th. This is Terry O'Donnell back again for another segment of odd news from around the world. Be sure to check out my website at https://527.websitex5.me for a blog page and links to other articles and stories at substack.com and medium.com, and also learn about what Crown Baha means. Uh, There's a description and and what it all encompasses right there on the front page of the website. So today I have a two-part show for you. In the first half, I'll give you a few standout news stories from the last few days. In the second half, my take on a couple of the hottest topics in the U.S. news these days. Now, my first topic here is a, a live broadcast, sort of, from the Kras- Krasenstein News, this is in Substack, and his two brothers, it's called Live, two mass shootings last night, over 26 shot, eight dead, and his article talks about all of the mass shootings here in the United States of late, uh, the kids in Alabama, and all that stuff, but his art- the article talks about why, and it's, pro- it's a pretty good read, I'll post the link on the website here, on the Substack website when we're all set here. And the next one, this is not necessarily just in New York. This is going on around the world because the, the British just put a bunch of folks on notice and arrested some folks over there for the same thing. This story is the FBI makes arrests over alleged sh- secret Chinese police stations in New York. This is from the BBC. If you think China isn't spying on their citizens around the world, this will make you think again. They admit to setting up these stations around the world, and they are turning out to be extensions of the PRC political police. And that's why all these stations are getting noticed, shut down, people arrested, and all kinds of stuff. South America had a huge thing while these here not too long ago. So apparently China is really trying hard to extend their reach across the world, and not necessarily in good ways. So if you're a Chinese citizen uh, on the run from their government, they're looking for you and they're coming after you, so stand by. The Hidden History of Guns and the Second Amendment, chapters 4 and 5, to, from Tom Hartman. More more of his book here as he posts the chapters. Um, again, this is a good read. Let me give you a little overbrief here. So this talks about um, From Columbus to Jamestown. Here's some quote from Jack, uh, Andrew Jackson and this talks about how Columbus arrived in 1492 and all the atrocities they committed and the Europeans went from there all over the place. And it's a good, again it's a good read here if you're interested in any kind of history and about guns and, and violence and European conquests. Next of fastest and fascistic movements. Special video. This is another article in Substack from Jared Yates Sexton. He's an activist, and he's all about American politics. He admittedly uh, he's a far left liberal, progressive, um, and things like that. Um, and his his article here, I'll pull it up a little bit. Um, this one here, where he's he's wrote a thing about how he's annoyed, and then he's talking about social media i um, tired of all the stuff. And he, he patched a video into this one. So it's a good read. Yeah, I would listen to it. I did listen to it. And he's got a lot of good points. It's not very long, about 25 minutes, if I remember. It's a YouTube video. It's a pattern of news stories about right-wing movements gaining speed in Australia, help from their U.S. cousins, and again, this is about right-wing movements around the world. Australia's having a big problem with that. The British are having a big problem with that. And they're likely getting it from their American cousins. So that's not necessarily... Canada's also getting in on this. I mentioned that last week. So I'm going to segue here. This is more on the education problem here in the United States. Collapsing roofs, broken toilets, flooded classrooms. Inside the worst funded schools in the nation... And this was posted in the Idaho Statesman and ProPublica on the 13th. And this talks about how the state of Idaho is not putting any money at all into their school systems. The roofs are falling in. The plumbing is broken. You got leaks coming through the roof. Everything you can think of. And the state government over there doesn't want to pay a dime to fix their schools. They continue to band-aid and patch. Don't want to do anything. Uh, if you're... You know, this talks about one of the worst states, but this is not exactly a one-off. There are several other states, mostly red states, who are having the same infrastructure problems in their schools around the country. And this goes to show that they would rather pay money in the legislatures or take money from corporate donors, in this case, and put it in their pockets rather than take care of their ailing infrastructure and schools and everything else. So that's that's not a good thing. Uh, it's bad for the students here in the United States and all that kind of stuff. So it says Idaho spends less on schools per student than any other state. Kids are sweating, freezing, and struggling to learn by Becca Stravronsky in the Idaho statesman. Um, in Idaho there's a little fallen ill cell, don't want to spend money. Um, a lot of these school buildings they talk about in the article should be condemned as unsafe. And that's there's probably going to be more about that down the road again I'm a big advocate for kids getting a good kids getting a good education uh, And you know how can you get a good education if you're afraid the roofs falling in you're freezing sitting in your chair I mean this talks about how kids in the wintertime in these schools are having to wear their jackets and snow clothes and in the summertime they're sweating their butts off I'm sorry how can you keep I, kids learn that way and here's another story it's a different topic. Supreme Court showdown over Sabbath could change workplaces across the U.S. A former postal worker wants a ruling to balance work and worship, he says. This is by Devin Dyer and Isabella Meneses. and This is in ABC News. It talks about a man who wanted to have Sundays off, and USPS and Amazon said no. Amazon mostly, and USPS just needs their money. This is headed for the federal Supreme Court. This goes through... A new president might get set and labor across the country could change. And in this case, it might not be a bad thing. And I agree with that. I don't, I'm not a Christian, and I've made that plain, I don't know how many times. But the point is, it doesn't really matter whether I am or not. If a man has religious values, and it affects his work, especially, you know, Christians believe that Sunday should be a day for worship and day off. And I'm all about that. I don't have a problem with that at all. So the problem is that the U.S. Postal Service, when they were an entity unto themselves, never had a problem with that. But then they took this contract with Amazon so they could keep their bottom line solvent. And Amazon says, no, we're making deliveries seven days a week. You don't like it? Too bad. Well, that's where the conflict is. Because now these postal drivers will work supposedly for the post office, are not having to also work for Amazon and end up working on Sundays. And, you know, I understand. And be honest with you, I hope the Supreme Court rules in their favor. I agree that it should change the the world labor landscape across the country. And I, I think it would change it in a good way. In Iowa, LGBTQ families asking if they still belong after new laws restrict their rights. This is from Katie Aiken in the Des Moines Register. It also published in USA Today. A trend is starting across the country with parents of transgender children who are moving or seriously considering moving to other states to be able to care for their children as needed. Another internal migration is setting up, and I agree. So, I've talked about this a little bit with internal migrations in the United States. So A couple weeks ago, I mentioned something about the droughts and stuff out west causing people to migrate back east. And then we have political migrations where folks who are really hard-right conservatives moving out of blue states and going to red states where their politics are more in line in those states with what they believe in. And now you have things with all this transgender laws that are being passed around the country. And we've got parents of transgender children who need the medication and stuff to to help their children. And... They're being banned now. So now they're all considering, well, not all, but a lot of them are considering moving to states that will allow them to continue what they're doing with their children. Be honest with you, I don't blame them. Now, trust me, I've moved so many times around the country and even across the world in my life. Moving, selling your house and moving and everything else is a huge deal. It's big. It costs money. Some people don't have money. Uh, you know, to make the move, so on and so forth. So it's a really big decision to make. But be honest with you, that's what it's coming down to, where the shift in populations here in the United States, for a lot of reasons, is coming. And it's already happening in some places. Private school vouchers are shaping up to be a huge part of the 2024 election as GOP candidates work to one-up each other on issue by Kimberly Leonard. This was published in the businessinsider.com, and it shows, it's an article about Florida's recent deal from the governor letting vouchers go so the children can go to whatever school they want to, private, in between private, however, the state's going to pay for it. So if you object to public school education, you want to send your kids to a Christian school, well, now the state of Florida's going to pay for it and all the other things to go with it. But this is happening not just in Florida, but it's happening in other red states as well. And if this keeps going, especially in the red states, if this really keeps going, then public schools in these states are going to be obsolete, just going to be empty buildings here probably in a few years. Here's another thing about, I don't know if this would be considered education so much, but this is Missouri. This is one of those red states that, I I don't know what their issue is, but they're huge on all this right-wing agenda, Trumpism and everything else. So this is entitled Missouri Lawmakers suggest 12-Year-Old Girls Should Be Able to Get Married by Timothy Bella in the Washington Post. State Senator Mike Ruin, Republican, yeah, no doubt, suggests 12 year, 12-year-olds should be allowed to be married based on one example of an enduring marriage. More examples of GOP legislatures moving backwards in time to 100 years ago, and the pioneers did such things. We know, back in the pioneer days, a lot of religious people from Europe came over with their moral views, and they had no problem at all marrying off their daughters for dowry money or marrying off their daughters, period. But it was it was a cultural thing. So now he's saying that because of one Example that he knows of in, in the state of Missouri where years ago a 12 year old married an, an older teenager and they were married for 40 some odd 50 years. Well, that's all well and great, but that's only one example. I mean, common sense tells you that this wouldn't work out. It's bad news. I mean, seriously. Letting an eighteen, nineteen-year-old kid, or somebody even older, like in the, you know, in the Muslim countries where an older man, like thirties, forties, or so, can marry a bro- a child bride for dowry money, and because male children are more favored in countries like China and India, places like that, they have no problem at all about selling off their daughters at twelve and thirteen, you know, as soon as they, um, as soon as they're women basically start their moon cycles uh they're married off and and the the family collects money for it i mean to me that's that's selling your children i'm sorry you know dowry money is a thing and that's what it's called but it's money if you're tra- if the money it's, if the transfer of money takes place between two entities over a human being even if it's just a child, especially a girl, that's that's tra- that's trafficking. All right, you are trafficking your daughter. That's how. The, that's just just it in plain English. Now here we're talking about polit- another political article here. China's defense minister and Putin vowed to strengthen military cooperation. Li Xiangfu traveled to Moscow, where he said ties between the countries surpassed military political alliances of the Cold War area. This is a tell, telltale piece giving everyone a heads up that China is likely supplying small arms and other small logistics to the Russians to use in the Ukraine war via a backdoor supply system off the books and under the radar for now. China never does anything out of the kindness of the heart. So what are the Russians giving in return? Well, the answer is fuel. What they're getting in return is oil and coal. And that's a big thing. So here's the problem with that. If China openly, I mean, they're doing it behind doors right now, um, and they're trying to keep it a secret. But if they were to openly support the Russian war in Ukraine, that would be a huge, huge tidal wave ripple across the world. It would set off all kinds of stuff. And I don't know what I don't know what the outcome would be, but it probably would be pretty serious. So that's something that's going to have to be watched a little bit. And then here's here's another one here. This one comes from the United States, sort of, kind of. Twitter, or I should say Elon Musk, puts government-funded media tag on CBC account, labeled by the latest move by Twitter to stamp public broadcasters with designations. First it was NPR and then PBS, and now the CBC Canada. Twitter thinks that they can intimidate news organizations with these labels. NPR closed their Twitter account and... PBS also, I think. Although the CBC government is, sponsored, is a government-sponsored news organization, the government has no say in what they publish. This was pushed to Elon Musk by Pierre Polivier, a conservative leader trying to trash Trudeau before the May elections. So what if Twitter labels a news organization as a government-funded media? It may be a big deal in the U.S., but probably not for a company outside the outside the country. So who's next? Al Jazeera? Later news, and this came in a few days later, CBC paused their Twitter account because of the slavery. Yeah, that's no surprise. Twitter is starting to become a bit irrelevant. Now granted, a lot of people around the world will use it for a long time because it's been around for so long. But as things progress here in a negative way with Twitter, it's fast becoming a deprecated platform a lot of people are leaving it. I'm kind of wondering how long I'm going to stay on it. I mean, I do it because my website has a thing with it. But I could also publish to another media voice if I could find one that has a big enough audience. But I am actively pursuing that. So that's, that's another thing. Twitter, I don't know, they're, they're, they're shooting themselves in the foot really hard. Two-year-olds can't buy cigarettes, but they can work in tobacco fields by Caitlin Rad. And this is an NPR.org. So this talks about how migrant children, for the most part, are able to work, go to work in agricultural and meatpacking plants. Of course, I've ta- I've talked about this every week. And this one talks about how they're working in tobacco fields. They're not all out to smoke. They can't buy them, but they can sure work on them. And the problem is that the the toxics the toxins from nicotine and stuff are getting into their skin so it's almost like they're smoking but they're not and they're getting you know they're getting diseases all that stuff but it goes back to the child labor thing that we've been talking about almost every week here is that why are we allowing children to go to work in you know under 18 They're considered minors. Why are they doing this? So the big question is, what do we do about it? I don't know. That's, uh, that's going to be a big thing. Uh, I think it's going to be a, a thing in the United States for a long time because we supposedly got laws against it, but I guess we're not enforcing them too much. Here's another thing from China. U.S.-China decoupling will have a devastating impact on the global economy. The global economy is not just splitting into two as a result of cynical political maneuvering. It is in danger of falling apart. Financial markets need to grapple with the impact of geopolitical climate rather than seeing it as something that concerns politicians only. This is from Anthony Rowley. So what I'm going to do here, I'm going to pull this one up. And this talks about what would happen to the global economy right now if the United States were to not depend on China's factories anymore. And there's a bunch of stuff in here. Some of it is, you know, business-wise. But the bottom line is, think about it. The United States depends on having products shipped over from China a lot, especially since the pandemic and everything. And our factories here in the United States have gone elsewhere, namely to China, Mexico, and other countries, but mostly Mexico and China for the labor issues. Ever since Reagan, Clinton, and all them guys enabled China to enable the WTO and all those other things, having a global economy, as they call it, well, it's been bad news for the United States and and great for China in some ways. But, you know, they've had their own issues with that. So then, at this point, I've got some other stories that I put on my iPad that I didn't put in here. And this one... I'm going to pull up this one here. Um, This story here is from Elon Musk's Twitter here, more or less. His interview with Fox News reveals his dark intentions for big tech. And this is kind of an opinion piece. He's trying to amass even more power in the tech space, how dangerous he can be if he gets what he wants. He's trying to be a trustworthy voice, but we all know how much right-wing he is and all that kind of stuff. This is a good article here. It's in MSNBC. Ellen Moss Fox interview reveals his dark intentions for big tech and how he wants to control big tech. Well, you know, Facebook would love to control it too. So I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see how he works with that. He's all these conspiracy theories and all kinds of stuff. It's a pretty good article. Uh, that's the reason why I saved it. But he's, he's definitely got... Elon Musk definitely has an agenda. I don't think anybody really knows what it is just yet, but he's working on it. So here's another another story, and this affects me personally, but it affects millions of people around the world. Netflix, to end mailing of DVDs and movies to subscribers after 25 years, and this is coming in September. So I've been a subscriber to Netflix, watching movies for years. Ever since they came out, well, I say not quite, but for 20 years. And so the big thing about it is now that they're going to do away with their Blu-rays and DVDs, that affects me a lot because I have an old, well, I say no, I, I don't consider it old, but, you know, old technology. I've got a Blu-ray player uh, that I watch movies on. I happen to like the sound effects in my home movie theater that I set up because I hate movie theaters. So I have my own personal movie theater set up. And so I get the enhanced sound from the Blu-ray disc. And now Netflix is saying, no, we're not going to do that anymore because we're losing money. Well, that's, that's a huge cut for me. Makes me think, and, it, you know, and I talked to my wife about this yesterday when I saw the news article. Maybe I won't be a Netflix subscriber after September. There's a good real real good possibility I might cut their cord and go somewhere else because I happen to like my blu-ray movies I don't want a huge library I mean I watch stuff when I watch it once and then that's it for me I rarely watch reruns um, but at the same time having this deal I gotta wonder about my thing with uh, Netflix going forward and you know how many other people are thinking the same thing is Netflix gonna lose a lot of subscribers well there's a very good possibility too bad for them I'm sorry you know, for somebody like me who's been with them for 20 years, um, it's sad. You know, uh, I'm pretty loyal. I'm a loyal customer for a lot of things, um, but man, I'm telling you what, when you, when you treat me badly, you know, I have no problem about cutting you loose. And here's another one: anti an anti obscenity law from 1873 was discarded for decades. Now the anti abortion movement wants to wants it back from Mara Dunnigan. And this is in The Guardian. So this goes back in history a little bit. There was a guy by the name of Anthony Comstock. And he was a huge evangelistic Christian back in the late 1800s. And he got elected to a government office in the federal government. And he was doing all kinds of things. Doing, you know, pressuring companies and various other things. He worried about soldiers in the Civil War having, you know, talking about sex too much. And all kinds of stuff. So, his Christian morality, he devoted really hard. So, his biggest thing was he got inspector of the U.S. Postal Service back in the 1870s. And he started performing what he called, here in the story, weeding in Gardens' garden. The big thing about it was he's the one who set up the law that you cannot use the post office to transport any type of illegal material. Uh, and mostly it's about sex. I mean, pornography, sex toys, all this stuff. And that's what the law deals with. Now, you can buy stuff over the counter these days, so it's not a big deal. But basically, this law became irrelevant. But the problem is it's still on the books. And they're getting some, you know, the lawmakers are getting pushback about repealing it. But the big thing about it, it says, it, 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 a Federal law criminalizing the mail of obscene, loot, or lascivious material. So contraception falls into that. Abortion drugs, anything like that. And that's what's going up right now in front of the Supreme Court is that do they do they want to enforce the Comstock law from 1873 to eliminate any type of contraception and or abortion drugs from being mailed through the post office. Well, this also this article also talks about how Abortion doctors who where it's legal to do abortions in the state they're they're working in, need to have their tools to do their job well, of course, they get mailed to them when they order it from the companies well now this law would ban that, so how they got you know basically this law would ban abortion in any in any form or another if they were to enforce it because doctors no longer would get their supplies they need to do abortions they can't do um you know prescription. Uh, medicine for abortions, all that stuff, if they enforce this law, it would stop. And that would be a huge, huge thing in this country. And in this next story here, um, this comes from NPR. I talked about some of it, but this one here, the article is entitled, The Supreme Court Ponders When a Threat is Really a True Threat. So there was a, a singer who had a stalker and... This was a couple years ago. And he was sentenced to jail for stalking. And she got PTSD out of it. And the thing is, the problem is that the whole thing went up in front of the Supreme Court simply because Supreme Court needs to basically narrow down what it means, what constitutes a threat. Because the law is so vague right now, they really don't know for sure how to, how to prosecute that stuff. So... That could be interesting, see what the Supreme Court rules on that one. And and here's another article I picked up. Republicans push for teenagers as young as 14, working in restaurants, industrial jobs. You know, right now, labor shortages across the world are really prevalent here in the United States. Restaurants and the hospitality industries here in this country are hurting badly, and they're desperate for workers. So all your fast food restaurants, regular restaurants, coffee shops, you name it. They are willing to take on any workers they can get their hands on, train them to do the job, pay them next to nothing, no benefits, treat them badly, and move on. You know, and that's, that's a bad thing. More on what I call child labor stuff. And last but not least, I've got this one here. Florida insurance crisis has some homeowners eyeing an exit. I almost had a tar. So this is an article that's been going on for years. Florida, as we all know, is Hurricane Alley, usually during hurricane season. Uh, Not every year, but they get more than their fair share down there. Well, as a result, Florida homeowners have a problem with house insurance. And they are relying on state state subsidized insurance. And the insurance premiums are through the roof. And a lot of people are thinking, well, why am I even here? I can't afford this insurance. Got to have my house insured. Why am I here and they're leaving because of it or, you know, trying to figure out their next move. And and I worry, you know, because I got family down here now and I worry about how they're going to do. So, you know, that's just kind of a thing. Uh, If you live in Florida, I'm I'm sorry. Uh, The the state down here is getting getting kind of crazy. The rest of this stuff, I'll let go. So I'm going to do I'm going to take a little break right now. Uh, Go get get a get a little bit of water. And I'm going to come back and I'm going to get into part two. Okay, so I'll be right back. to part two. And as I said, I I talked earlier about I've got to have two topics today. So the big thing about it, um, this is stuff that's really in American news. Um, It's been all over the place for several years and more prevalent now because the second part of this goes to all of the guns and stuff. So welcome to part two. First, the U.S. southern border. In nearly all of the civilized world, they have heard of the United States border issues with migrants coming across any way they can to find a better life because Americans like to make a lot of noise about it, just like certain countries in Europe. My opinion is that the U.S. either needs to get over it or consider harsher methods to keep them out. Wasting all this money on huge walls that don't work as intended and financing a border border patrol that is conservatively about 10% corrupt, maybe more, when we also deploy National Guard troops around the country to augment this border patrol and they still can't keep up. All of which aren't working to the 100% effectiveness that certain people in the United States are crying about. I have a better solution. Then I got a better solution than those big metal walls and other hard deterrents currently being used. Some of this has already been is already being deployed but not nearly enough. So the solution is erect a 10 foot tall chain link fence with concertina wire from the Baja Peninsula all the way to the Gulf of Mexico, with guard towers within sight of one another, staffed with live guards, roving foot patrols with dogs running between the two guard—you know—running between the guard posts. With the guards in the towers, they would have automatic weapons and searchlights to be able to see the fence lines and report anyone trying to get through. For those caught in the wire, they can be cut out in the morning if they're still alive. For any migrants who make it past the fences, they could cut down with MG fire or get caught by the dogs. Shooting intruders is not against the law in the U.S., just inhumane, according to the liberals, who cry every time some poor minorities get hurt by the cruel government. If we adopted this cruel practice, the word would get out eventually that to try and cross the U.S. border illegally will likely get you killed and illegal crossings will probably die down to a trickle. Other lesser countries in the world do this, and no one says anything to them. So why should the United States be held to a higher standard? The U.S. has trampled on civil rights since the first white Europeans came ashore in Americas, and I'm talking about our revered Chris Columbus to start with. He started mass genocide in the islands of Hispaniola, now called Haiti, and look how that's fared since. Look at what the Europeans have done to indigenous peoples around the world they set foot in, since they first ventured out of Europe. Think about it. Look what happened in all the colonies in Africa, Australia, the Caribbean. South America, North America. What did the Europeans do when they first migrated around the world in their sailing ships and, you know, committed genocide everywhere they went, all in the name of Christianity and money? And they're still doing it. So why should the United States care about a bunch of dead migrants caught trying to enter their country legally? Well, the answer to that depends on which side of the equation you stand on. If you believe in civil rights for everyone and the willingness to give a helping hand for those escaping climate and regime change, then there are better ways to deal with them. Such as refugee camps and, NGO, and the NGOs like the World Food Program and Medicines Sans Frontières, or Doctors Without Borders in English, to help with their basic needs. Much like other places around the world. Think about it. Over in the Middle East, all these war-torn countries, I visited some of them when I was in Afghanistan. These These refugee camps are everywhere. So why couldn't the United States do the same thing? We have all the open land in the world down that way. I mean, granted, it's desert and a little hot. But we could set up refugee camps for all these migrants and call in these NATO organizations to give them a hand. I don't see what the problem is with that. But if you're one of those that screams about border security, I refer you to my opening statement about wiring dogs. Which is it going to be, civilized methods or barbaric but effective methods? Which side are you on? And then my my second topic is the one that's being heard around the world, and even more so than our southern border. It's the problem with excess guns in the United States and the Second Amendment to our Constitution, specifically the right to bear arms. The Constitution states that the right to bear arms is to be granted to members of a well-organized militia, or words to that effect. The United States already has a state-funded National Guard system, with each state having their own National Guard units, at the beck and call of the state governors. A couple even want to have another small militia answering all over the governor. But no matter what you call them or who they work for, they are considered organized militias by the book. Although these state militias for governors only, like the ones in Florida and Texas, may be a little less than organized by most military standards. But irregardless, by the textbook, they would be considered organized. Everywhere else, everyone else is just considered civilians. If you're not part of any kind of organization, state, mandated federal, what have you, you're a civilian, period. The answer to this is rather simple. The United States has a reserve component called the Inactive Reserve, the IRRs we used to call it when I was in the military. They have been through basic training and can be called upon in a real emergency. They are required to register with the government once a year to keep up their locations and contact information. Why can't all legal gun owners be required to sign up for another version of the Inactive Reserve? All they would have to do is sign up when they buy a gun legally, and that's the key word, legally, and maintain their contact information once a year like the others. The only difference would be the requirement to attend a basic training like a real soldier, sailor, or airman. They should have to attend a safety training course as part of their background check. Like certain certain states require, very few, the course may only take one day out of their lives, sometimes a little more, but it could save a lot more lives. The adage about only criminals having illegal guns could prove to be a reality. This would weed out the mentally unstable and social misfits, keeping them from acquiring guns legally. Black market guns are a lot more expensive and harder to get in most places and a good deterrent in itself. If you get caught doing something stupid, like stepping out your door to shoot at a car turning around your driveway, for instance, you lose your gun privileges. If neighbors complain about someone behaving antisocially, They need to be assessed by local law enforcement to determine whether their gun privileges should be revoked and the guns confiscated. The other part of this would be to implement a nationwide mandatory background check across all 50 states. I know, we already have that, but look how that's working out for us. No state would be allowed to deviate, and if you buy a gun, you don't walk out of the store with it until your background check comes back clean. No more open carry without a permit or a background check. This should be a federal statute to keep states from le- just letting any Joe Blow the Ragman buy a gun, walk out of the store with it the same day, and in a couple of days run into some place and shoot somebody, but with a background check clears you. We all know how certain states would cry like babies if the feds tried to pass a law like that, which is why they haven't done anything yet and the mass shootings keep making the news around the world. Here's an opinion piece from CNN posted last night that nearly mirrors what I'm saying here. Opinion, the reason Americans are getting killed in driveways by Jill Filipovic. This is in CNN.com. yippee ki as the ki- cowboy rides off into the sunset, leaving bodies in his wake. That's all I have for today. And as I leave you with this thought, what would you do in the situation of somebody coming in your driveway just to turn around at the end of the block, Would you shoot first or would you let it go? That's the question of the day. You have to ask yourself, what do gun laws mean to you? Are you worried about the government coming over here to take your guns from you? Well, I don't think so. I don't think that's ever going to happen. But are there a lot of people running around that shouldn't have guns? Absolutely. So that's my last thought of the day. So I'll let you guys go. Um, I'm going to take care of this week's broadcast. And just remember, if you get this, if you like subscribing to it, I offer free subscriptions, paid ones as well, but I don't don't make a big deal about it. But having a free one would be a good thing. Uh, Just subscribe to it. uh, And you can just remember... You can also list this on your iTunes application and take it with you wherever you go. Thank you and have a really great day.